This episode may contain explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 19th, the Twin Struggles edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another show. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I'm dad to Noah, who is six, and Ami, who's three. We live in Detroit. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's 10. We live in Los Angeles. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. I'm an editor, journalist, and dad to Oya and Olu, my four-year-old twins. So we live just outside New York City. It's so nice to have you here, Mr. Twin Expert. We're going to need you today. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Today on the show, we're going to take advantage of Duarte's expertise. He's a dad of twins, like he said, and is going to help us navigate some listener questions about uneven twin terrain. We're also going to catch up on our week in parenting. And then if you're in the Slate Plus Club, we're going to crown the most iconic twin duo from kids' pop culture. It is the tournament you haven't been waiting for. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. But I will say, what was always sort of bizarrely sad about Mary-Kate and Ashley is that they were just playing a single person, right? Like, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, they didn't have the individuality. And it's, uh, I can't separate them now. Right. They're like a duo because they, they got yeah, famous playing one person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because of child labor laws, right? Like, they could only, yeah. each of them could only work, like, so many hours. But yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. That must have been strange for them. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, yeah. By becoming a Slate Plus member, you'll enjoy a weekly bonus segment and all your beloved Slate podcasts without any advertisements. It's the ultimate way to enhance your listening experience while also providing vital support to the show. You can join Slate Plus today by visiting slate.com slash momanddadplus. All right, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails as soon as we get back. We're back. Jamila, what have you got? So, um, I've mentioned in the past that Naima and I have had some challenges with getting out the door in the morning. And last Mm -hmm. week, my triumph was that we had a couple of good days. Um, But before that, her dad and I decided that maybe it would be best if she spent an extra day with him for the next few weeks. Uh, Okay. Usually, she does three days with him and four days with me. And so now she's doing four days with him and three days with me. Um, It's been an adjustment for me. You know, I I was always so afraid of 50-50 custody, like when she was younger, you know, like I felt like I would be less of a mom and I wouldn't see Mm -hmm. her, you know. And so now that she's spending more time with him than me, it's it's humbling and it's difficult and I miss her. Um, But last week we had a good week, you know, and... Was this a three-day week last week for you? Yeah, last week was our first three-day week. Uh-huh. You know, we had a good week, and so I'm giving this a try for a few weeks. Yeah. Wait, so that's a biggie. What, what does it mean for you to have one less day? I mean, are you using it for self-care? Um, last week, I went on a date. Nice. On my extra day, so I spent the time fruitfully. I don't have anything planned for tonight. This is the extra day, technically. Um, okay. So I'm just going to get some rest. I am a little nervous because, like, I tried to make plans for tonight and nothing came through. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just going to be missing her. So I don't know. I'm a little anxious about it. Was was Naima involved in this new setup? 
No, it was something her father proposed. And the first time he came up with it, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And the second time he was like, you know, getting her to school on time is really important. And if you're having these challenges, you know, like she has an easier time with that in my house. You know, mm -hmm. like we need to just try this for a little while. So I gave in. That experience is so typical of so many uh, parents who share custody. Uh, you know, I hear it from my friends all the time. Like, how are you going to split that day? And what does it mean if you have less or more days than someone else about you and how does a child deal with that? It's interesting that she said just one day because she knows there's a lot in that balance right now. Do you call her on that day or do you have this rule where, no, I'm not going to talk to you these days? No, we usually talk <laughs> when she's not with me. Uh, but that's that's a huge adjustment, dude. So mm -hmm. you're just you're just getting into it. Yeah. Well, keep us posted, and uh, I hope that you fill up your time with something that you love. Duarte, what do you want to share this week? I, it, it's a little bit of a fail. Very very humbling. Uh, this year, for the first time, my kids are in different classrooms. And they were the mighty twins for so long because yeah. I was less worried that anybody would bully them because they're together, right? They always have the right. support. But in school, they said, no, we got to separate them. And after I, I saw them fighting at, at home, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for you to be separated. So my big concern was that they would be bullied individually without their support system. Uh, and so I was preparing them with strategies. Someone does something, stand up for yourself, tell me immediately, this, that, all the stuff I'd read. Well, come to find out, my daughter was the bully. And <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I had never considered the possibility <laughs> that you would be the bully and just talking to her about what that means, uh, you know, to do something that's hurtful to someone else uh, that I can't control. So, you know, if they had a fight, I could obviously soothe the person uh, that was hit or taunted. But this kid is sort of the anonymous uh, kid who was bullied. And that's how the school does it, right? They don't they don't tell you who the child was. Because they don't want the parents to get involved. They don't want the parents mm. to come after me, me to go after them. And I was like, oh, my God, I just feel horrible. Um, and So, so what did they tell you? They said that she got into an argument and that she threw a cup at somebody. Uh, and that kid uh, was crying and had to be consoled. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, my daughter, apparently, there's all these sort of politics going on for, in the, in, for four-year-olds in preschool. Uh, is a little bit of a popular girl. And I was like, for real? There's such a thing? There's dynamics like that? At four? Like, where does this start? It's a pecking order. Uh, yeah. Pecking order out of the womb, I guess. <laughs> uh, and so just trying to talk to her about the, uh, the sort of empathy that I'm sort of expecting and how not to cross the line. And, you know, what if it was you? And, you know... You're by yourself over there, right? You know, her brother's very physically big, right? And so she always, he always has her back. But I was like, you're by yourself. You don't go throwing cups at people. And so it was a fail in the sense that I felt like I had prepared her to stand up for herself against a bully. Yeah. And then suddenly she had become the bully. Um, and I struggled with that. And I was like, okay, now that I know that you're this type of person, how do you, how do I deal with that? Uh, and so I'm still struggling with that um, because it's, you know, it's no good either being bullied or being the bully because it means you're not seeking negotiation and things. But I, don't I don't think she's necessarily that type of person. It's not like she's like forever the bully. Oh, I know? agree. I agree. But it's like, you know, 
And you're four, but still, you know what I mean? I, I have to sort of get in there now before it gets crazy. <laughs> How did she take to it when you when you talked to her? After oh, the there was so much drama. And then she didn't want to go to school because it's no, oh. now they're going to think that I'm the bad girl. I said, nobody thinks you're the bad girl. <laughs> like, this is not what happened. This is, you know, how... We collaborate because you need people, right? You can't, you know, push people away from you. And so she went back to school today, and I'm waiting on the on the report uh, to see how she's doing with this anonymous child. That's what's so difficult about the systems over here, at least on the East Coast. They don't want to let you know who does what because they're afraid of the parents, what they're going to do. It's the same thing out here, and I've been very <laughs> frustrated, you know. I found out a boy hit my daughter last week. And I got in touch with his mom. I was like, no, we're not doing this. The school would have never told me anything. And I like, I went through another kid and got his mother's phone number. Uh-huh. Wow. How did that go? Uh, she was very apologetic. She made him apologize. Um, I think it was effective. He apologized to Naima again at school the, other, the next day. Good. Yeah, that stuff is important, you know. Maybe the issue is, I mean, I, I wish... They would let me know uh, who this anonymous child is in, in that in that family, but you know, kudos to you, <laughs> Jamila, for getting detective, getting the scoop. Detective Jamila. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have something to report. Uh, we've had a sleepover episode of this show before, and that was before my kids had ever done a sleepover. But but uh, I can say that no more. Noah had her first sleepover this past Friday night. It was with uh, some good friends of ours. So they, the whole family came over for dinner first. Uh, they have three kids, two younger younger boys, and then um, a girl that's a little bit older than Noah. So they all came over for dinner, and then the family left and left their, their daughter with us to sleep over. Uh, she's a second grader. She's pretty cool. Noah's in kindergarten, so an older kid uh, slept over, and I really didn't know how it was going to go. I wasn't confident that Noah wouldn't, you know, come into our room and not be able to, to, to share a room with this girl. Um, I worried that Noah would, uh, she's been known to have like some, just some emotional regulation troubles as, as uh, six-year-olds are wont to do sometimes, especially with this friend. So I, I just didn't know how it would go. And then I also going into it, had all these fantasies about like, I'm hosting a sleepover. Like I have, I need to make this so fun. Like I was excited to make like the Saturday morning pancakes, uh, you know, like, like, uh, I've always kind of imagined it and like seen it on TV and it went pretty well. We let them stay up late. They stayed up till like 11. Um, don't tell the girl's parents. I hope they're not listening. So, so they, they like went to sleep and that was a huge success and they woke up the next morning and I, I got started on, on some chocolate chip pancakes and Noah and the girl and, and, um, Ami, my son, they were all kind of sitting in the dining room waiting for pancakes hanging out and and just like the tone of Noah and her friends conversation it was just kind of suggesting to me that like Noah felt like the the way I was feeling was like she doesn't she doesn't want me in there I'm not cool I am officially now the dorky dad who's embarrassing her that was kind of like the vibe that I was getting um and I was making pancakes and adding chocolate chips and then I brought in like the first round of them um then i went and retired back to the to the kitchen to make some more and i and i hear noah say dad come and eat with us you deserve it and she'd like totally totally dispelled my uh 
my my insecurity that like she was too cool for me and it was i i I was just a, a puddle after that. It was it was so sweet. So definitely a, a first sleepover triumph over here. I admire you for even doing a sleepover in this day and age. You know what I mean? It's just so much responsibility. If I were to do one, I would do like a whole family sleepover because I just feel like, uh-huh. oh my God, something's going to happen. Uh-huh. How am I going to deal with my kids, your kids? Uh, but kudos to you. That sounded like it went swimmingly. It went well. It went well, um, and I think I I don't think we would have done it had we not like known the the girl pretty well and the family. I think if it was just a rando from school that would have had its own set of complications. But um, you know, because we know them, I felt I felt a little bit more comfortable with it. But uh, thanks, thanks, mm. um, it was fun. On that note, we're gonna take another quick break, and we will see you back here for our question. We're back. Let's hear our first of two twin-centric questions, both of which, by the way, come from our amazing Facebook community, which you should totally join if you haven't already. Uh, Just search Slate Parenting on Facebook and prove to us that you're a human. There's like three questions um, and uh, you're in. And it's it's a really vibrant community where you can get a ton of feedback on, on anything that you're dealing with. So definitely come and join us at Slate Parenting. Here's the first question. Dear mom and dad, what do you do when what's best for one twin is bad for the other? When do you choose to help the struggling twin, despite it being less good for the advanced twin? Or when do you make a choice that gives the advanced twin opportunities to be challenged, despite it making things harder for the struggling twin? In cases where they need to be in the same school, program, etc. So you can't just make separate choices for each twin. That's such a valid valid experience and it's just so common uh oftentimes we hear people say oh they're just individuals separate them do all these things the reality is even if they're in separate classrooms they may often be in the same school they're in the same household and you also have to look at things as if the way i like to think about it is in a as a portfolio of experiences so that if Your children have to be in an environment that's most obviously beneficial to one. We need to find a co-shared environment where the other child can thrive. Um, That balance is sort of key. Uh, And this is not easy because it involves, you know, asking teachers, their friends, you know, what they observe as the strengths of what you think is the weaker child so that you can find a way to encourage that with a complimentary experience. So for example, you know, you know, my, my daughter is more, she's stronger in class uh, than my son is. And so we do this thing uh, when we come home and they both teach me something. And it's very, very important that they both teach me something. Like um, that's the expectation that you have? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, and so that they can take a sort of a leadership role and show me something now and when my daughter sees my son teaching me something, she said, oh, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're sort of, he's really strong in certain things. And, you know, it's always a question of have them show you something that you know that they're strong in so that you can have, again, this portfolio of experiences. Because in life, come on, um, it's always going to be a question of if I'm in a team, there's going to be someone who's stronger in something than me, uh, but they have a strength that I don't have. It's a collaboration. So this is a good beginning for twins to see, okay, I'm going to be in an environment where I may have to lean a little bit on my my other twin who's going to be stronger, 
but what can I learn from that? Um, and it can be stressful. I'm not going to lie. So whether, you know, the more advanced twin is going to be held back a little bit or the more uh, challenged twin is going to be pushed a little bit, it's all sort of part of these life lessons that I think is going to be critical. The first part, and I want to tell for the parent, you know, kudos for you recognizing this and accepting the fact that you're going to have to do this. But let's find other ways to complement those experiences. And the key is, you know, you know, we're going to live, we're going to work, we're going to play, we're going to collaborate with people whose strengths vary, just like these twins. And the only way we survive is by leaning on, you know, sort of the good things about our lives, our strengths. And so that's what I would really encourage. Um, well, obviously, I agree with Duarte because he actually has twins. You have to find environments that work for both kids, you know. So if there's a school that's better suited for one of your children because they provide some additional academic resources that they require, it still needs to be a good fit for your other child. It can't be somewhere where they're going to be so held back that they're not having a, you know, adequate academic experience. So it's just really finding those sweet spots where, you know, spaces, after school programs, schools, camps can meet both children's needs. And I can imagine it's got to be pretty difficult, but you have to make sure that both children are attended to adequately. I agree. I mean, that goes without saying. I, I, I'm assuming that, you know, you know, we're not talking about an extremely special needs person uh, in an environment where they can't hold water. Um, so that's, again, without knowing more information. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Jamila. You know, you can't just throw someone out there. But I also wonder, like, conversely, like when we're talking about the strengths of each of our kids or in each of our twins, like how do we avoid, let's say, you know, the this twin is better at math and this one's better at reading. Like, how do we avoid that becoming like the story? You know, like, oh, they if they're good at reading. They're better at reading at four. Like, how do we how do we like, you know, make it so not to say that like it has to be a, a it shouldn't be a competition but just so it's like this kind of malleable thing and not like these are you know this is this is the new construct do you know what i mean i stress with my kids that things change all the time that you're twins and you're the same age but one of you was actually born first and the other was born second so there are all these little differences and if you think about it as a journey sometimes one person's going to be one step ahead but the other person will catch up and go much further. Um, you know, my kids were born very prematurely, which is also very common in twins. Um, and when my son was born, his cry was inaudible. Uh, so here they were in the NICU, and they were sitting, you know, not sitting, but rather laying side by side. Um, and whenever he would cry, the doctors would tell me, obviously they couldn't hear him, but somehow his sister would be cued, and then she would cry uh, mm -hmm. to get attention to the mm -hmm. both of them. Mm -hmm. um, and the doctors would come. And I, I shared that story. I said, and now look at you, Ola. Your voice is so freaking loud. You didn't have a voice back then. And now it's amazingly loud. So you see how things change over time. And so I would encourage people to find a story that's so unique to their children to show how things change so that when you have hard, hard situations that are stressful, like one being better at one academic subject than the other, that it's not so traumatic, because it can be. I want to build on this uh, because we have another 
question about twins. So our second question is... There is a rivalry between mine, and our boy gets very upset when his sister is better at something he's not. We try to tell him that she may be good at one thing, but he's good at others, but both get so upset at the other succeeding in an area. How to best approach that? We're so lucky to have a, a father of twins here, and we are also very lucky to have an actual twin, our very own producer, Rosemary Belson, who is going to join us now for some for some testimony from from the source of of that twin dynamic. Rosie, are you there? I am. It's it, so it, Rosie. A quick question, just to, so we can inform this this answer. Do you have a rivalry with your sister now, or are you just sort of proud of her accomplishments? How how do you negotiate that? I would say no. We don't have a rivalry currently um, because we live very separate lives now. But at a time, it felt like because there were so many markers of success as kids and specifically as twins, you're having these markers of success and like constantly getting them <laughs> that are the same, the exact same. You're taking the same math test. You are running the same miles in gym class. You're trying to make the same friends in the same pools of people. Like you're constantly getting this real-time feedback and in some ways being shown a parallel life um, that like it's hard to not compare yourself. I wouldn't necessarily say it was a rivalry, but like there is uh, a comparison that like is on a subliminal level that like you can't help but have um, just because it's just so evident and that, especially when you are not as good at something as this uh, brother is uh, seeing a little bit, it can lead to feeling inferior and lead to this like constant competition. Um, so like there was a time in our lives that like, I wouldn't say that we were extraordinarily competitive with each other, but like we are at a point where we're, we're very supportive of each other. So I got a theory. I got a theory about, about how to deal with the situation, but I just want a point of fact. So in your particular situation right now, I'm sure your, your, your sister has a lot of success in some way or the other um, that may be different from yours. When she shares that success, what do you feel? Do you feel, what, how, how would you describe what you I'm feel? I'm just happy for her. Like, how could I not be? How healthy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, so, in some ways, like, you know, in some ways, we had to learn to be each other's biggest cheerleaders and set aside that fe those feelings of competitiveness. Um, and, like, I think that took a lot of intentionality. Um, but, like, at, at this point in our late 20s, you know, when I hear that she, like, got a promotion at work, how could I not be happy for her? This is my, my theory. This is how I deal with the situation. I sort of lean in to that natural egotism of a child. Um, and so I say, okay, you know, this is your sister. He's your brother, right? So you're not competing with what's yours. You're encouraging your brother or your sister to succeed. I, mean, I, I look at it, you know, as a writer, I think like in life, like in literature, like the people that we hang out with are sort of extensions of our own psychology. Mm -hmm. And so if they're doing well, and, you know, in some ways that we do well. So I asked them to see, you know, his sister as a part of his identity, his his sister, so he can celebrate her success. And in some ways it works, but, yeah. you know, 
he's only four, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, but it, it, it begins to, he's like, oh, it's my sister. She did this. That's um, um, and it's, it's, the, it's the my that he's focusing on, right? Less the sister, mm-hmm. but the my. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. uh, because of that, he is, you know, it, it, it lessens the rivalry a little bit. You know, so I, I have a sister who's not a twin, but very close in age to the point where we had a lot of twin-like experiences. So much so, ironically, bizarrely, you know, we both had twins late in life and, I mean, oh. well, we both had children late in life. And when I told her I was expecting twins, she said, oh, me too. Oh, my and God. <laughs> they were all born the same year. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what That's is incredible. going on? How close are their birthdays? Uh, all in the summer, you know what I mean? August and July. <laughs> oh, what a busy <laughs> summer that was. Huh. Yeah, very, very busy. Um, so anyway, in sum, that's what I would say. Focus on the my sibling so that they can have, you know, feel pride in what is an extension of themselves, which is not what you hear normally, right? You always hear separate, separate, separate individual. But I think in this situation, it's useful because it's a helpful way to look at sort of the world. Um, so. Yeah. I love that. That's really good because I was going to talk about, you know, reminding them that they're individuals having an individual experience. And so they needn't be competing with each other because they're two different people, you know, with different capabilities and different uh, strong suits. But I love the idea of thinking about like your sister's wins are your wins. And when you win, your sister wins. Yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. Rosie, do you have anything to add to that? I still think the individual advice is good advice as well. Like, I think you mm-hmm. could be doing both of those, both of these mm-hmm. things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, in, not only like reminding them that they're individuals, but like, I really do think that if, if you have the capacity to like give them spaces where they can interact with other kids where they're not defined by this relationship. But I also, reading this question, I did, I was curious, like, what is fueling the sense of competition? Because, I mean, again, I'm not a parent, but like one of the core things that I've kind of learned from the years of producing the show now is that like you can do everything right within your sphere of control, but once you're out of the sphere of control and like your kids are interacting with other people, like all of a sudden they need to learn how to interact on their own. And like with twins, they're going to get a lot of messages of, competition like with other people almost expecting them to be competing against each other like we've had Anna and I had multiple teachers like often like sort of in a joking manner and I don't think that meant any harm but like over our years like thinking that almost setting up a competition between us was like a fun way to engage with us and like we didn't have the language in order to like go up to the teacher and be like this is not how we want to engage with you so I don't know if this is an external feeling of competition um, that this brother is feeling as well. But like if it is or even if it's not now, like maybe helping them find some language where they could like jokingly deal with some external pressure or like some external expectation of competition between uh, the two siblings, because it's going to happen at some point, even if it's not happening now. And it would just be lovely to have like. Uh, some tools in their in their in their pocket uh, to deal with that situation i love the idea about that language to deal with you know not being forced by the way you know i'm sort of 
shaken a little bit by the idea that your、mm. teachers would sort of try to make you guys、yeah. compete <laughs> against each other. It's really quite oof.、Uh, I, I got to watch out for that because I don't want that to happen. It's just not healthy at all. Totally. Yikes. Oof. So, so thank you for that. Thanks for joining us, Rosie. Of course. And listeners, thanks for writing in. If you have a question of your own, please reach out. Email us at momanddadatslate.com or by calling 646 357 Seriously, we love to get your questions. We need your questions. Please send them in. And that's our show. Subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by the twin, Rosie Belson and Maura Curry. Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners. Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Slate Audio for Jamila Lemieux and Duarte Geraldino. I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>